Hey guys, welcome back to the 429 Podcast. I'm 2. I'm 9. And I'm 4. And I actually remembered to start the podcast on time for once. <laughs> and this is episode 23 of TechCast, ladies and gentlemen. So we have now made this episode 23. We have another great episode lined up with a bunch of interesting news stories. So without further ado, let's start it up. Let's start with this story I actually picked up today. It's actually really interesting because LG smartphones actually may cease to exist by 2022. Oh, wow. Right? And now you may be wondering, you know, like, why why this is happening? You know, what could really be causing it and everything like that? So LG did an analysis of its business. And basically, they actually lose money for every smartphone they're making, actually, uh, believe it or not. Between oh. all the licenses they have to get for Android, between all the hardware costs they have there, and between having, like, zero percent of the market share because android phones are leading so samsung galaxies are leading that and then you have google pixels that are leading it and then you have apple iphones which is the third big player in the smartphone market you know the smartphone business is just not up lg's alley and unfortunately by 2022 they will probably just be gone from the smartphone market itself now they still will make appliances like they do with their smart washers and dryers and fridges and all that other stuff but of course smartphone smartphones are probably going out the door for LG. So it's the end of, end of an era. Um, this one hits a little close to home because my first couple cell phones were, were actually LGs. They weren't smartphones. They were like the slider phones and the touchscreen yep, ones, yep, right? Yep, yep, yep. But, um, but uh, it's uh, coming to an end of an era for LG. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this. I never had an LG phone. Uh, I did. Well, that works. Uh, well, I mean, two, uh, four had one, so I guess I, I guess it means that they had some sort of reach, a range in terms of uh, their customers. But I never had one. I always had a HTC, and uh, I'm trying to think what the other one was. Well, some other brand, um, and then an iPhone. Uh, never had an LG in that mix. You had an like, HTC. Yeah, I had an HTC back in the day. The ones that flipped, you know, the ones that flipped and had the keyboard. I do know the ones that flipped. Yeah, those are the gay. That's that was that was back when a, a full set of key, a physical keyboard was a feature. Yeah, man. Yeah, I had something yeah, similar. I, had... I was I was rocking with an NV Touch from LG. Those were yeah, the first LG touchscreen Evo. phones you could buy. It was kind of sick. I had an LG Evo, the blue slider phone I had. So that was oh, my. You know that one. Yeah, that was a big. That was one. my first cell phone, actually. So yeah. You guys, you guys remember the Razer? The, the what was it? I think it was called Razer. It was like the Verizon's exclusive phone. Yep. Yeah. I think it was called Razer. Yeah, that was a big ones at the time too, around that era. Yeah. So, I, but I feel like I could have gone to the LG. It's kind of like that was kind of everyone's entry phone, for a lot of people during that era. And I feel like for some people, this era, right? LG has exclusive features that kind of still make it stand out. Exclusively, mm-hmm. their screens. I mean, they're the ones that give iPhones their screens. Yep. So, yeah. like, they definitely were the forefront of that. So, it's, it is, you know, I, I even though I've never been an LG uh, user, I it is sad. It is an end of era, right? They, they I, I always think of iPhones as not really the, the forerunners of technology, as many people like to credit them to be, but more of, like, Basically, if they do it, it's kind of the standard kind of thing, right? Yep. But I always mm-hmm. assumed LG and like Samsung, maybe in some regards, to be like the actual, I guess, you know, forerunners. Let's just think about this for a second, right? Let's think about the phone market 10 years ago, right? I mean, it used to be so funny because like everyone used to have their own phone. Like, some people had Blackberries, some people had, you know, 
Oh, LG and you had the, the LG phones, you had the Blackberries, yep. you had the Motorola Razors, you had the T-Mobile Sidekicks. There was, there was so many different types of phones. It was like everyone might have had something different. And like now, everyone's got the same two or three phones in their pocket. It's kind of sad. You either yeah. got a Samsung Galaxy something, Google Pixel something, or an iPhone number something. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's sad. But I mean, look, again, this is, comes back to because they're, they're, at least for most people, it's it's pretty much they offer what they need, right? Right, uh, iPhone. You may you know discount them for their lack of innovation per iteration, but they do work. I mean, like if you get an iPhone, you kind of know what you're getting into, and, and it's pretty much uh, always going to supply um, a kind of satisfying product. Yep. Samsung, if you kind of want the more like you know a little more riskier on the innovation and stuff like that, you kind of go for a Samsung, right? And you got your pick, your Google Pixels lineup, right? Those are the guys that, like you're in the Pixel lineup, the, the Google ecosystem. So they're they're even though it's only like well, three phones, they're, they're still well, like... The, well, I think the other issue that I think Ford is alluding to here is, right, back in the day, you know, every cell phone worked with each other, right? You had, every was just for calling and texting, that worked across all phones, right? Regardless of which one you had, right? Now that you've we gotten into the whole smartphone market where specific software is designed for a specific phone, it's really limiting, you know, the market to just android or iphone you know we saw microsoft try to come out with the windows phone we saw amazon try to come out with their version of a cell phone right and they both flopped and the main reason was because every software is designed around iphone and android there's nothing that's designed around all these other phone systems right and that's your biggest thing so until you have you know a universal phone system that could be used again across all cell phones right Mm -hmm. that's maybe free and open source you're probably not going to end up back to where we were back in the like '90s, 2000s, and the early 2010s. You know. I mean, I I, I think it's pretty controversial what I'm going to say, but I think the reason why we have only like three phones in the ecosystem right now is because people have chosen to be that way. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly, as sad as it is to have the lack of choice, really, people have chosen these phones to be like the top pie, the three basically main only choices in the system right now. Yep. Because they, they they just had features and it worked right. A lot of the a lot of the the other like LGs and the razors that we talked about back in the day, right? They had problems. Mm-hmm. They didn't work very well. Some of the apps that they had just didn't work very well with their phones. They had a lack of quality control with some of them. And more importantly, they had exclusive contracts with like the big uh, phone companies. Like you know, one was only for Verizon. One was for only uh, Spring back in the day or AT and T. That limited you mm-hmm. using it right away, like if you have that sort of thing, especially yeah. me who who is never contract kind of user. So you know, say what you say, even though I kind of hate we have this lack of iteration in that front. It, it, they they kind of brought it upon themselves by what the, yeah. their you, you might be able to start seeing something like uh, you know more, a more universal framework come out towards the future, right? You, you, now you've got stacks like Flutter, you've got stacks like React Native, and you know. If you were to have an app store specifically for React and React Native apps and Flutter apps and whatnot, right? All these apps that are perfectly cross-platform across multiple different operating systems, you might really be able to start seeing more versatility and like you know options in the phone industry. But until you have a platform like that where all of your mainstream apps are going to be super you know super uh, compatible across every phone, regardless of the manufacturer or the operating system it runs, um, you'll probably still see. Kind of like this hierarchy of Samsung, Apple, top. 
Yeah. Yeah. Much. So I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes, but maybe we'll turn this into a longer episode, right? Maybe we have our first longer episode idea for 2021. Yeah. So. Let us know, guys. Let us know. Let us know. Uh, but let's keep going. We have a bunch of other news stories. So let's talk about AirPods for a second, right? AirPods Max. They've done a breakdown of the AirPods Max, and it makes. Uh, you know, it makes Sony's and uh, Bose's headphones look uh, less technologically capable here. I don't know what nine were your thoughts on this. This is actually your story that you sent over to me. Yeah, so I heard about this. Uh, this is a pretty interesting case. Uh, this is not one I want to say right away, prefacing that the the case that you know the AirPod Max are you know superior product and not front right. Um, but they do have a really good insight for someone in the like uh, the right to repair community, right? And just so in a technological standpoint, how superior these are in terms of their manufacturing, right? These things are really built to be to be very modular, which is insane if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to the you know the the forerunners, I think the big heavy hitters in this uh, headphones market, the Bose and the uh, Sony's, right? Yep. Uh, just seeing their hardware alone is just impressive. It's um, these things are like alone. Just seeing the parts alone. I could almost rebuild uh, the AirPods Max in my head, just seeing their parts alone. While with the Sony's and the Bose, they're kind of like, I don't want to say like Chinese or like, you know, like inferior products, but they, they definitely seem like they were built on a more uh, less creative or quality uh, parts. Uh, and it's the same to me, um, especially since these are AirPods and have the highest repair scores, uh, iFix uh, scored for them. Uh, I think a five, I believe. So it's pretty mm-hmm. insane, um, and I, I really like it. I, of course, it says nothing about their the actual sound, the actual uses of the product, but in that front alone, I think Apple scored big, yeah. and hopefully more companies follow suit on their you know manufacturing process. What do you think, for? Dude, I'm kind of just you know this is the first I'm really seeing this about these, um, but just scrolling through this article real quick, it does look like these are super modular, and like I'm I'm reading that these build qualities it supposedly far better than the other alternative headphones in the similar or the, yep, they're in yep. similar price brackets also so yeah I mean, it's it's insane it's pretty good i mean it's uh it's kind of like um it's almost like kind of seeing a engineer uh compared to uh like at a high schooler trying to build something yeah. with lego right it's I'm, like i'm reading right here my, my my favorite part about this and i know we've talked about this before with our right to repair videos is i fix it has given the air max pro supposed or the air max or the airpods max rather a six out of ten in terms of repairability versus on its previous AirPods, it's given them it's refused to give them a single point. And it's yeah, give them all zero out of ten. So I mean, it's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I'm honestly really happy about that. That means that the well, the biggest issue with the AirPods, if people don't know, was the battery. You know, like no matter how great the battery is, eventually battery could you know disintegrate. You have to change the battery. This means that with the new AirPod Maxes. That's actually a possibility for you to actually repair the batteries yourself. So that's beautiful for the right to repair community. Like to, that. Be, to be completely yeah. honest, when it comes to like your AirPods, I never really thought of those as something that's going to be repairable. I mean, they're so small repairable, and so right? tiny. Yeah. I mean, like it's just not something I ever really thought that I'd be able to fix myself or have a third party. Fix. They're also relatively cheap enough to replace outright. Yeah. I would say. I mean, for hundred fifty to other bucks, Apple products, if they're going to last me for you know anywhere from three or four years. Just given any battery constraints and whatnot i mean personally i think you're more likely to lose your airport to lose your airpods before they break so hmm, that's a good point yeah for a lot of people that's so actually the right card. let's let's keep it going so with other technological advancements like how the airpods max is just way better than sony's and bose's headphones right 
Yeah. We have a new, we have an interesting player coming up, right? And I want to keep an eye on this for the next year or two because I think yep. it's going to be really big. But Brave Browser ah, has actually yes. taken the steps towards enabling oh. a decentralized web. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Just, so a basic gist, just a basic gist um, for all our listeners out there is that currently when you go to a website, you follow the HTTP or the HTTPS protocol, right? Which basically means that it's pulling your, it's pulling website data from a central server and it's calling it a day, right? Mm-hmm. And you just, you just assume that the server is okay, right? With a certificate authority or whatnot, right? With this, it's actually more interesting because this allows a brand new protocol to come into play called IPFS. Yep. So IPFS basically allows for multiple nodes to store data. So not only does it need to only pull from one of the nodes to get your data, but each of the nodes at the same time can verify the data that's on the website to make sure that it's, you know, correct data, not obscured, and that there's nothing malicious going on. So it's actually, if you want to think about it in, you know, what technology uses today, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all these other cryptocurrencies are kind of like that today, where it's like a peer-to-peer network just verifying each of the transactions. It would be the same thing here with the Brave browser going peer-to-peer verifying the content on the website. This is actually a very interesting use case I think Brave is bringing out. Um, we're very familiar with this type of technology uh, due to some of the things we've done in the past. But nine, what are your thoughts? And then four, I want to get your thoughts on this too from all the work you've done. So in my case, I kind of worked with this closet exclusively, right? With the whole decentralized network and stuff like that. So, and I I, I think I think two knows this as well. I'm actually a user of Brave for a while. I've been a user for yeah. Brave for uh, almost a year, I think. I, I got recommended from like one of our own uh, mutual friends about it. And I actually really liked it. I like the goal that they're sending out. I'm trying to do my my due diligence to step away from the centralized network and, uh, you know, uh, like Google and stuff like that. Um, I think they're a little bit too data hungry, right? For mm-hmm. for my like. Yeah, and fun I mean, fact. Nine also uses DuckDuckGo as the default. I brand. use DuckDuckGo as my default browser. Um, so yep. you know, I'm, I'm taking small steps. Uh, of course, I know DuckDuckGo's search quality queues are much less quality in terms of Google, but that's a that's a sacrifice I'm willing to take for my privacy. And uh, you know, Brave is one of the the forefronts. I think in my case for browsers that are actually leading the charge in terms of privacy and stuff like that. These guys are really leading the charge. They have great uh connections in terms of uh features in terms of privacy focus and stuff like that and when i heard about this and the decentralized heading towards a more decentralized uh web right that was all in like this is perfect yeah. uh they're even offering signings now for you to be a node in their network so you know they're trying to get more users to get in and you know of course if you're a node that means you're also helping out other people who are trying to connect to it and thus offering a much better web in the long front i'm even thinking about signing up for myself to help uh you know pursue this uh decentralized dream of uh, uh mine but uh yeah i'm really all in i really like brave uh, it's a really sleek looking uh browser alone also both yep. mab and mobile and i couldn't i couldn't recommend it enough for anyone who's looking for outside of the main i think three browsers of like chrome firefox and uh edge what do you think for yeah i am on board with this fully i mean you guys know my stance on privacy <laughs> and censorship and whatnot and i think that this hits all of the key points you need to hit i mean I'm, I'm reading this article right now and they kind of cite the fact that hundreds of thousands of websites are blocked across the world in different countries you know by different internet providers you know right 
by having a decentralized web, anyone can access anything, and your governments can't stop you. So, yeah. and you're going back to the original, you know, concept of the internet, which was free information for everyone. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I mean, the only real concern I think that there is with this is, um, you know, obviously crime and stuff like uh, terrorism and um, child abuse and whatnot. And, you know, all of those items become a little bit harder to handle now. Um, but, I mean, there's so much to gain in terms of freedom of information. And, I mean, I think that really it's... Speak for yourself. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just the freedom of information. It's something that, you know, the Internet was founded on. Right? That's how it started. And I yeah. think getting back to that is would be great. I think it's All right. Cool. Well, let's... It's very cool. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens. And I think from a technology standpoint, you know, I, I can't wait to see what Brave comes up with. So I'll be keeping track of them very closely for the next couple months. Yep. Well, let's I keep going, right? It. I literally just downloaded Brave while we were talking. Oh, perfect. I, I highly recommend it. Look, so you probably heard recommend. it in my recording. <laughs> but let's keep let's keep it going, right? Let's uh, let's move on to a fun story here. So for those of you who are, are on Reddit, you guys are very familiar with hopefully very familiar with yep. a subreddit called r slash wall street bets these are basically just a bunch of it, what it used to be was a bit, bunch of former hedge fund guys who just got together on the thing to just do some day trading and to make you know a quick buck really quick by doing options trades which were calls or put calls right yep and uh what's interesting here <laughs> is that one of their latest trades lately has been on gamestop and um basically from every economic economists and every you know major talking head on tv who talks about all these um different you know stocks and everything like that yep. they're all like no gamestop's going to the shit like it's going down it's going to be zero it's going to hit zero gamestop's over and uh these guys on all wall street bets were like we're not going to let that happen and they spiked gamestop stock to its all-time high and by all-time high i mean all-time high for all time right not even just a yearly high of over seventy dollars, right? And uh, just just on Friday alone, it raised over fifty percent, right? Nuts. So um, it was so bad that I've actually never seen this happen for the years I've been keeping track of the market. It was spiking up so much that the major stock exchanges actually stopped allowing trades for GameStop until um, people were calming down. So. Um, so uh, this is a very interesting scene, a very interesting story. And uh, honestly, it just shows you the power of the internet because it's about 2 million people who are on the subreddit who got to really control GameStop's fate. And they're not stopping anytime soon, right? So it's interesting watching uh, where they plan on going with this. But what are your guys' thoughts on this one? Dude, this was so funny. When I first saw this, I was like, <laughs> okay, hold up a second. What caused GameStop to stock to go like this? And then... I mean, when you actually hear what happens with the short squeeze, like, it makes perfect sense. Yep. And, I mean, r realistically, their stock being that high, I don't know where it's at right now, but it's probably doomsday for them now because you probably have so many investors who had money invested and have just been waiting for an opportunity to dump it, and now's that time, and I think that you'll, you know, it's... I don't know. It's it's probably gonna be so funny. And I think you're gonna see from the I think you're gonna see the OG Wall Street bet guys are actually going to, you know, short it and put and make put calls all, all the way down, right? Uh just to make double the money on the way back down and then but it's very interesting to see what's going on here. But there's been my my main fear here is that there's been a spike of 
about a million people on this community now, right? Yeah. That have just really come in and um, they're just investing in what people are doing. So we're kind of in what's called the meme economy now, where it's kind of just like, hey, this is the new meme stock. Let's just dump all our money in and see what happens. You know, Tesla was that stock at one point. Yeah. I think they, I think they said Palantir was one at one point. GameStop's one. Blackberry's another one they're coming up on now. You know, so it's very it's, it's kind of funny because, I mean, when, when you have something like that happening where you've got a million people on a subreddit that all that all can follow the same investment routines, I guess, right? It almost seems to me like you're now part of a freaking Ponzi scheme. <laughs> you've got all these people dumping money. Well, that's what it sounds like. And, like, yeah. eventually, some, eventually somebody is going to lose money. It's only a matter of time. Pretty much, yeah. There's, there's always going to be someone holding the bag at the end. The question is going to be who. Right? right. I mean, it's not organized. It's not like it's an organized Ponzi scheme. I don't know if there's actually like laws being broken, but like the actual like, just the way it's working and how everything turns out, it's like the same exact outcome of a Ponzi scheme. At least that's what it seems like to me. You know, what's interesting is I was talking to Nine about this yesterday as well, right? There could potentially be some issues with laws being broken here, right? Because the SEC does have a social media policy where if you do recommend stocks or if you do are analyzing stocks or anything like that. You do need to disclose what your holdings are in that, in case it's, uh, what's it called? I forgot the exact word, conflict of interest, yeah. right? Yep. And so a lot of these people might be facing that issue on Reddit. Um, but to Nine's point that he made yesterday as well, a lot of people think they're anonymous on Reddit, right? And they which are, really. Which we all know here, well, uh, which we all know here is not. To some extent, I think some of them are. I think uh, some people are kind of get loose, kind of get carried away with the anonymity on the internet, right? But then they post like they're, their, you know, identifying uh, information about them without even knowing. But I think right. some people in the forefront of them trying to be anonymous will always really stay anonymous. Oh, I they, yeah. You know, so, I think I think if, if if you really are worried about getting caught on Reddit for, you know, by the SEC for doing trading stuff, like those type of people, I don't think are going to get caught. I mean, yeah, maybe people Sadly. don't realize they're doing anything wrong are going to get caught. But like, if you know Probably. what you're doing is is not right, like you're. It's hard to get caught on the internet. There's a reason why cybercrime laws are so severe, and it's because they don't catch enough people. So they need to make an example of people they do catch. 100%, yeah. Sadly, that's pretty much the case. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Things can change. Let's keep it going. we got a few more news stories. i got one small one and then two big ones coming up. So this one. This one I just find ironic, right? So we were just talking about this, actually. But Amazon is pushing for a milestone union vote to take place. But get this in person yeah right i just find this ironic considering we just had a whole you know presidential election that was done both by mail-in and in person mm -hmm. and it's very funny to see how you know amazon's union board is who amazon who was in favor of um mail-in voting has now switched over to when it's their turn to be just full-blown in person right so i sense a little bit of hypocrisy here from amazon and um, it 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 uh it, it gets under my skin a little bit here, right? Because I I don't like it when people choose one view for everyone else, and then for themselves they're doing the complete opposite, right? Mm -hmm. I would say that if this is your view, you should stick to it through and through. You know, be a man of your word, or in Amazon's case, be a company of your word, right? Yep. So um, but I don't know that this is just something that was irking my skin. I just thought it was very interesting that. They're doing this because there's we've seen a lot of union things try to take place within tech. You know, we've seen Instacart lately with the whole union scandal that's going on with them right now. Uber, which has had Uber and Lyft, which has had hundreds of union scandals. Right. 
and now Amazon with their warehouse workers, right? So like, I don't know. It just doesn't see feel right to me. But what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I think you're 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 probably spot on, right? Like, I I expect that when someone makes a stance on something that doesn't relate to them, that they kind of carry that stance over on when it does relate to, relate to them, right? Yeah. I mean, regard regardless of what it's about, I don't like hypocritical people. I think they're, you know, really like I mean, I think the word speaks for itself, right? So. I think that you should really try to apply your beliefs not only to other people but also yourself. And I mean that goes for everything, right? Not just their uh, unionization vote. Hundred yeah. percent. I I think it's a little hypocritical, uh, especially with now when it comes to them. Now they have to change their stance suddenly, right? When this was only a couple months ago, you can't even say years ago. This was like literally a couple months ago from their previous opinion on this. And you know, I kind of agree with that too. Like it's a, I I it kind of irks me the wrong way when people are. So hypocritical, especially when it comes to stuff, stuff like this. Um, but we know we'll see. Hopefully things change. I don't think so, but it it, it really does shows Amazon's true colors sometimes uh, when it comes to this type of thing. No. Yeah. What do you guys think about the unionization in general? Do you guys think that they they should have labor unions in their warehouses or? You know, it's a very American thing to have you know these unions take place you've seen it since the beginning of time since america was founded right you know you have always had the unionization of workers and stuff like that and amazon you know you know their warehouse workers are falling under technically if you think about it that definition of a union right now unions are not always great there are unions that we've seen especially in our cities right that have gone rogue and have become like impossible to fire these people because of the union stuff and the union politics that goes on right mm -hmm. but at the but at the same time right i understand i understand and feel for where these amazon workers are coming from and i do see how they can be how can how they have and have become exploited from time to time and so i think it makes sense from an amazon's warehouse worker perspective to become unionized right now conversely I've seen a lot of information come out there about um, software engineering, software engineers within these tech companies trying to unionize, both within Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc. Right? Yep. That one doesn't make sense to me as much. Yeah, I'm um, that. that one does not make sense to me as much because they're not being exploited. Mm -hmm. They're full-time employees and stuff like that. Consultants, maybe, but like if they're full-time employees, I don't see them becoming actually, you know, exploited and um anything of that like right so um that one doesn't sit well me but yeah. with, with the warehouse workers makes a lot more sense mm -hmm. yeah i mean similar consensus with too i mean i'm pretty much point to point that's pretty much the same i would say consensus i'm reaching with you know i think i think it really depends case by case when it comes to the necessary of these union workers i think in some cases they really are needed um but i think in many cases they have seen the use of unions kind of just being used as a safeguard to prevent uh, actual legitimate uh, rules and, I guess, efficiency being used and kind of being carried away. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I have I have very mixed feelings about the whole unions, um, the union system, and I think you're right. In an industry, you know, like with like with all these software engineers, I mean, re realistically, you kind of make your own fate as an as an engineer like that, right? You're at a pretty high-level job, I would say. It's a, you know, it's a skilled requirement job. You need to have a certain set of skills to do it. There's not a lot of people, you know, in the grand scheme of things that could replace you in your job and, 
I mean, really, you're going to move up, move down, get paid, and you know all of this based off of the work you perform, right? How you perform. And I mean, up to this point, you know, it's like we've seen major layoffs in terms of engineers and engineers, especially at these big tech companies. They're definitely given good treatment. I mean, look at the look at the offices, all the free food, all the this, the that. I mean, there's plenty of incentives yeah. for them. And I mean, you're really not stuck. You can work from home for any company in the world. And I mean, for the most part, you can pretty much just go get another job relatively quickly. So I don't really think that, like you said, I think yeah. it makes sense that there's really no reason for software engineers to be unionized. I think that would probably in the long term do more to stifle innovation than it would to protect software engineers. And yeah. I mean, for for the Amazon for the Amazon uh, distribution center employees, I think it makes more sense. But once again, there's a there's a lot to take in, and I don't know a lot enough on the topic to really make a definitive conclusion. But I think that over uh, you know comparing the two apples to apples, that one makes more sense to me than the other. Yeah. yeah but sticking much. but sticking with some Amazon news, right? This is actually one of the major news stories that came out this week. Right, Amazon actually sent a formal letter to now President Joe Biden offering to help with COVID-19 COVID vaccine distributions. Yep. Um, so we all know, we've already talked about this multiple times on the podcast, you know, from a logistics and operations perspective, Amazon is king. impossible to beat. Yep. They are the king of the kings, right? They're the godfather of the logistics industry. It's near. It's basically impossible to overthrow Amazon unless you hack Amazon, right? Yep. Which we can talk about that at some other point. So... This is interesting, right? How they propo- how they uh, sent a full letter to pre- now President Joe Biden, and they were like, "Hey, let us help with getting the vaccination efforts, you know, underway even <laughs> yeah. further." Right? Um, it's it's great because now there are vaccine shortages happening all across the world, not only in the world but within the United States as well. So it's 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 great to see you know the private sector step up and be like offer yeah. our their own logistic resources to come help here. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? I, I think this is definitely a, am, a major plus coming out. I, I am. How do I say? I have once again. I have mixed feelings about this. Okay, because I understand hand, where you're coming from. On one hand, one. like you said, it's 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 really great to see the private sector kind of reaching out more to try and help with this massive problem we have right now. But on the other hand, I mean, we've been distributing vaccines for like at least six weeks at this point. Right. I mean, six weeks we've been distributing vaccines and for six weeks we could have used the logistical help on delivering them properly and getting things you know, more timely. We've been doing testing and all of this stuff and all of this stuff needs to be distributed also. Like, you know, the pandemic's been going on for 10 months at this point. Where where has Amazon been the entire pandemic? Why all of a sudden now, 10 months into this, are they offering their help? Where were to they Amazon, 10 months ago? To, it's like, to, to Amazon's credit, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Amazon's free of guilt, but Amazon credit. It could be that they just didn't have the infrastructure for vaccine, because you know, vaccine distribution is actually very different from just delivering, you know, what they call packages and stuff like that. You yeah. have to like especially these vaccines where it has to stay minus below zero. Yeah, so it could be they were getting the infrastructure right, they, that were correct, and everything just get it in place for them to set it up, and you know, with everything now logistically ready, they offered the help. You know, they didn't want to offer help when they know they weren't in, in a position to do so. To their credit, I'm not saying that's yes. exactly no, no, the reason. I understand, yep. But that could be one of the reasons, you know. I mean, but ten here, months. But the fourth, but the fourth point as well, you know, they could have sent a letter to Congress, you know, earlier on the pandemic, saying, "Hey, we have the logistical, you know, know-how. Just fund us some money and provide us like some freezers, right? So fund us some money so we could get some freezers, sign the government contract for that real quick, 
and then they could have probably gotten this. I don't think I don't, I don't think the money was a problem. We're talking about Amazon here. Like Amazon is yeah, no but part I'm, of I'm, I'm looking I'm about I'm, talk, I'm looking at more in terms of a time is was the real culprit here. I think they just needed the time to set the infrastructure, the network all set ready. Uh, true too. And you know, ten months. You know, ten months in the grand scheme of a pandemic is a long time, but ten months in the grand scheme of anything, especially shifting your whole shifting architecture to handling vaccines, is kind of like yeah, but, I say, right in the sweet spot of setting. Everything. I mean, we've seen Amazon take on much bigger tasks in less amount of time. I mean, how how long was their Whole Foods transition? They went from you know carrying items to carrying food in like months. But, they, even. but they bought a company for that. You got to remember that no, too. They and, I, and I'm aware. I understand that, but I mean. So. That's very different. I, I, like, if, if, they, if they Amazon... bought, it, if anything, if anything, you that you could you could say they should have bought some sort of vaccine storage company to get themselves more in place. And you know what? I would totally agree with you with that. I mean, they have the money to do so. They definitely do, and they probably should yeah. have done that if they really wanted to help ahead of the time. But yeah, it's an interesting one. But you know, final story to wrap up, and this is a a controversial one actually, a very controversial one from a very unexpected source. Mm-hmm. Google is actually threatening to shut down its search engine in Australia. Oh, okay. Oh, oh I so, <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he, he just goes, oh, all right. All right cool. It's basically all around Australia's um, push to about some controversial bill that's designed to benefit some news media sources, right? Yep. Um, to be fair, I will comment that I did not do enough thorough research to fully comment on you know whether Google's in the right or in the wrong here. But just taking it off of face value and everything, it's a very interesting concept, right? Because, you know, on one hand, you can have, you know, a private company can do, you know, whatever the hell they want to do, right? But on the other hand, it's like, like, damn, like, that, that that's kind of worrying at the same time that, hey, like, Google's just gone from Australia all of a sudden. Yep. So, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on this one? I mean, I think for a lot of people, that would be worrying. Right, I, and and you know what, to 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 be case, I think it's our fault for letting Google be such an integral part of everyday life. I think we kind of mm-hmm. set ourselves up for that fault, and I think everyone should share the blame for that aspect. Uh, but in the other in the other, in the other case, I, I there are alternate choice uh, alternate choices for Google, like one we just talked about earlier, DuckDuckGo. I think is a great choice in terms of social engine. You also got Bing. I mean, they're not as good at Google, right? But maybe mm-hmm. this is exactly the type of case that these these uh, alternatives need to really start stepping up to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, DuckDuckGo can be like, you know, Google, I heard is leaving your country. Maybe we can come in and help you out. Maybe Australians start. Well, so it. I guess, so I guess, I guess some more background, right? As I'm looking deeper into it, um, the bill basically states that if this law were to go into effect, Google and other media consumers, such as Facebook and other places would actually have to pay these media companies for using and reading their articles and putting it on their websites, right? Or in Google's case, their search engine, right? And um, the Australian government has responded to Google as well. And they're Australian, so they're as tough as nails. And and they were basically like, we do not respond to threats. Um, So... That's pretty normal. This is basic. So this basically can, may or may not pass. I don't know if the bill may or may not pass. Right. But it's an interesting point to bring up because, you know, if Google and Facebook have to start paying, right, that's from a corporation perspective, that's money out their pocket. Right. Whereas they're benefiting from the free media anyway right now. Um, 
there are talks of Google and Facebook and other tech companies that enter into um, negotiations with these media companies mm-hmm. and to act uh, and to actually figure out like a right payment system. But if mm-hmm. not, it will actually end up going into arbitration with Google actually being with Google you actually know, being like, hell no, I'm pulling my services from Australia. A, I, I was just reading this a little bit and I don't really have, like I said, enough. This is kind of the first real, real time I've read this at all. But here's 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 my understanding on this so far. It seems to me like Australia is trying to force Google to pay some type of like, I don't know, payment to media sources and outlets of whom they display descriptions for their links on their search engine. Right. Let's just like Basically say, using their, yes. you, you Google like, oh, cute dogs and an article for this new cute dog breed comes up in the search results and Google displays like a short description. Right. You know, they like add their little description. Um, Google is supposedly now supposed to owe that company something for putting their stuff. Providing that description. It, right. Now, uh-huh. I don't really think that this is possible. Fair. Like not only is it, you know, not only is it not fair for Google, but like just how like think about how that's even possible right like how would google even pay them right like how does that even work all google does is just look like their whole search engine it just crawls the internet to find stuff that matches what you've searched for it's looking across public information and displaying it back to you right it's not taking credit for anything you've done it's simply just displaying it like you know you know what i'm saying like i just don't think one i think it's an infeasible task because there's so many websites it's impossible for google to index all of them and link them back to a payment provider and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And there's so many Google searches. The scale of that problem is massive and it would be ridiculous to implement. And I mean, I just don't think Google is copy. It's like, it's, I don't see it as copyright infringement. I just don't see it as copyright infringement at all. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine it. for one, can you imagine if Google just, if Google search stopped, how many, what kind of, what type of website would those people even have? No one goes directly to your sites anymore, right? When was the last time you went directly to a site? No, you Google the articles you want and you click what comes up, right? No Pretty one would have much. any yep. access to news anymore. It would be ridiculous. It's it's a to me that seems like a crazy initiative. It is kind of weird that they're kind of kind of enforcing Google just to pay up front for them using basically their services. It's kind of like it's and it's like, I think it would start a really bad predecessor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's I I mean literally search engine the only point you to the information you want to find. It's presenting yeah. information to you. It's not claiming it. It's not trying to monetize it. It's just simply presenting information to you. It's a service that presents information. It'd be pretty and, much like making Yellow Books pay yeah. for like when you like look up a restaurant or something like yeah. that. It, 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 it just seems asinine to me. I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't know a lot about this at this point, but I mean, just the premise, it seems extremely flawed. And I don't think, once again, I think this is a case of the Australian government being too old to actually understand the internet be possible honestly you know it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma but it will be one that we will have to debate on another episode if the audience wants us to hear us debate more but guys i just want to say thank you for all listening yep. thank you for uh hearing out all these stories hope you guys found this week just as interesting as previous as previous weeks and previous episodes uh we have a lot of interesting things planned for 2021 so please keep a like follow subscribe and just keep on task with everything yep. we're doing at the but, podcast on like every platform yeah. So, uh, but anyway, guys, I'm two. I'm nine. And I'm four. And we will see you in the next episode of TechCast. Have a great week. Bye, guys. Thanks. Later. Take care, guys.